Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. All right, you ready? Man, today we're launching a brand new series called The Devil is a Liar. Man, I'm pumped. I hope that you are too. How many of you would admit that you've said that phrase at some point in your life? The devil is a liar, all right? You kind of have to say it with a little bit of soul if you're really going to get it right, okay? You can't say it like most white people. You got to say it with a little bit of, little bit of sister or brother in you, like the devil is a liar, okay? That's how it sounds, right? Um, maybe you said that at some point in your life, maybe in a moment of great frustration or disbelief, okay? And you said that phrase, But here's the truth today. Whether you've used that phrase or not, the reality is that all of us have been a victim to the truth behind that phrase. Whether you're old or young, no matter where you are in life, all of us at some point in life have believed a lie from the enemy. And scripture tells us that we have a real enemy. Um, The enemy is mentioned by name 47 different times in scripture by the name of Satan. Another 33 times in Scripture, the enemy is given the name the devil. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this in verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says, your struggle, my struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Scripture says there is a battle today going on for your soul and for mine, and in this battle, in this war, the opposition has a name, and his name is the devil. He is the enemy. And so we must realize that today. Now let me make this clear. The devil is not your ex or your boss or your coworkers or your kids or that classmate or teacher that you can't stand. They are not the enemy, but there is a real enemy, Scripture says. And he fights with real schemes to capture your heart and to capture your mind and to steal you and to cause you to walk away from the identity of who God created you to be. And so during this series, I want us to see one of the main strategies and tactics of the enemy, which is lies. In fact, his identity, his character is that of a liar. Look at John 8, 44, um, perhaps a little bit of a theme verse for our series. And it says this, he, meaning the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Scripture says the devil. Is the father of lies. It also calls him the master of deceit. In other words, lying is his native language. And let's be honest, many times the devil can be incredibly convincing. When he comes to us, he doesn't typically say, hey, listen up. What I'm about to tell you, it's not true. And if you follow it, it's going to lead you down a path of death and destruction all throughout your life. He never comes to us like that, does he? No, I mean, he comes with his cunning and deceitful ways, and instead he does everything he can to convince us that his way, the ways of the world, are best, and that God's way is wrong. But if we could see for one second where he is leading us, we would turn and run the other way. But the problem is so many times we believe the lies. We turn our back on the truth, and as a result, we experience pain and shame and guilt and regret and so many of the difficult things of this life. So the goal of this series is two-part, to call out the lies of the enemy, 
And second, to combat it with the unchanging truth and promises of God's word. That's what we're going to begin to do today. So today we're going to tackle our first lie across our four weeks together, and that is the lie of fear. Today, we're going to tackle the lie of fear. Fear can be one of the most controlling, dominating lies of the enemy to cripple us. And I would dare say that every person in the room, no matter how old, young you are, elementary, high school student, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, all of us have bought into the lie of the enemy in regards to fear. Some of you in the last month, some of you in the last week, some of you in the last 24 hours. You see, we can buy into the lie of fear in so many areas of our life, from family and relationships to career and finances to our health and our future. Fear grips us whenever we believe that in spite of our best efforts, something undesirable is going to happen and we can't stop it. See, sometimes fear is rational. Sometimes fear is irrational. But either way, it captivates and it cripples us. Fear is a lie that ultimately steals and diminishes our relationship with God. Take a guess on what command is given more than any other in Scripture. Fear not. 366 times in Scripture, God speaks this command in some form, fear not. Ironically enough, that's enough for every day of the year and leap year. Why? Because I believe maybe God understood. He knew in his knowledge that we would be people who would be captivated to the lie of fear. We would buy into the enemy's lie of fear in our life. And sometimes fear shows up in big ways. I mean, we're terrified. But sometimes fear shows up as anxiety or nervousness or worry or doubt or stress. You see, and today I want us to realize that fear chews away at our lives. It will destroy your confidence. It will rob you from rest. And ultimately, it will steal our praise. So I think it's important for us to spend a moment before we dive into how to combat it today with realizing maybe the root of where some of that fear comes from. Because we're a lot of different people from a lot of different places and backgrounds in life, and fear can rise up in us for some different reasons. One, sometimes our fear comes from our upbringing. Some people, uh, maybe you were raised in an environment of fear and worry. Maybe you were born into a family of worriers. Perhaps your mom, who's maybe still alive, was just this, the biggest worrier. She worried about everything. And then her mom, your grandmother, was an even bigger worrier, right? I remember my grandmother, who's not with us anymore. Man, she was a massive worrier. She kept the TV on the national news channel all day, every day. Volumes cranked up to like 99. Okay, she's in the back of the house folding laundry. She can tell you still what's going on. And as a result, as a result, by the end of her life, she was worried and fearful of everything. And maybe that was how your house was growing up. And fear was almost like breathing. And in your house, it was just common language to hear, watch out for this, be careful of this, don't do that, stay away from this, come clear of this. And over and over, and maybe when you were a child, it just annoyed you, and you're like, mom, dad, like, back off. But now that you're an adult... You're beginning to buy into the same worries and fears. And listen to me, there's a big difference between being wise and protective and living a life driven by fear and by worry. I think perhaps many of us, man, have so much fear in our life because we have given into it because of our upbringing and the environment that we were in. Our fear can also come from a place of hiding. You see, anytime that we try to hide or cover up something in our lives, it becomes a place for fear to grow. When we sin, when we make mistakes, and we're not quick to confess and to seek out forgiveness, then all of a sudden we begin to have to live a life that is hidden 
maybe in a big area or in a small area of our life, and we fail to confess it, maybe because we're embarrassed, maybe because we're ashamed, or maybe we just don't want to be perceived as anything but perfect. We got it all together. And what happens in that moment is we stuff those feelings of shame or embarrassment or perfectionism deep inside of us, and then those feelings ultimately come out as anxiety. And we begin to worry, what if, what if someone finds out? What are they going to think of me if they find out about this struggle in my life? And hiding will drive you crazy, and it will ultimately cause you to buy another lie of fear. But there's another group, and I think there are many others who have fear that roots out of a desire for control. A desire to control. Some people want to control everything. They want to control the outcome of circumstances, the outcome of conversations, and even the outcome of other people's lives. Maybe you know somebody in your world, in your family, in your house that's like that, right? And they want to control not only their life, but everybody else's life as well. Maybe you know somebody like that. Or maybe that's you. You see, the reality is for those people who have such a desire to control everything, what we ultimately find out is we can't. We definitely can't control the, control the way that other people act. And when you have the desire to control and you find out that you can't anymore, all of a sudden that begins to take root and grow as stress or worry, anxiety in you. And as a controller, you fear everything you can't control. So today, whether your fear maybe is rooted in your environment and your upbringing, or maybe it's a mask that you're hiding behind in an area of your life, or, or maybe it's just that desire to control that you have, wherever you are, man, fear cripples and fear captivates us. And so today, what I want us to see is first in Matthew chapter 14, there's going to be a pretty familiar story. Feel free to flip there if you want to. In Matthew 14, we see a story in scripture where someone um, was overcome by fear. In Matthew 14, Jesus uh, has spent a long day of ministry. He's tired. He's worn out. He's had all his people time in that moment. And so he says, I'm going to stay back on the hillside, boys. You guys get out in the boat and y'all go out on the Sea of Galilee. Go and cross to the other side. I'll catch up with you. And in Matthew 14, we read this familiar story. Matthew 14, verse 25. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come on, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Let's hold right there. As the disciples, they're caught in a storm on the boat, middle of the water. Jesus does one of his greatest recorded feats in all of Scripture, and he begins to walk out to them on the water. And while that was incredible, the person I want us to really see is our boy Peter. Did you see what Peter says? Peter makes the boldest statement of the year. He's like, Jesus, all right, if that is you out there, man, let me get out the boat. I want to come out there to you. And Jesus says, come on, big boy. And he steps out of the boat, and Peter begins to walk on the water. But verse 30, did you see it? What does it say? But when Peter saw the wind, he was what? He was afraid, and he began to sink. Peter, who had just made the boldest statement of his life, who had just walked physically on the water, now looks out and sees the wind and the waves, and he gets afraid, and he begins to sink. And look at what happens 
In Jesus' response in verse 31, Matthew 14, 31 says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and says, You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Jesus, Johnny on the spot, reaches out his hand, pulls Peter out of the water, and then he makes the most crucial statement, I believe, of this entire passage. He says, you of little faith. Notice Jesus didn't call out his lack of ability. He didn't call out his attitude. He didn't call out his desire to be ambitious and want to get out of the boat. No, but Jesus called out Peter's lack of faith. You see, here's the truth today. The antidote to the lie of fear is faith. The antidote to the lie of fear in our life is faith. It's not try harder. It's not be tougher. It's not think smarter. No, it's trust deeper. It's trust deeper. The antidote to the devil's lie of fear is the faith to believe that your God is bigger. That's how we fight today. And so here's what I want to do. In the rest of our time, I want to give you four practical actions to take, okay, in your faith, to boost your faith in the lie of fear. Maybe in an area of your life or in all of your life, as the enemy presents the lie of fear, these are four actions for you to write down and begin to take action with. First is this, call your fear by name. Call your fear by name. The truth is fear and anxiety and worry, they're not a thing in and of themselves. These are feelings and they lie are lies that always come from a root. We are fearful of something. We're anxious for a reason. We're worried because of someone or something. And so to combat that lie, we have to be ready to specifically call it by name, identify what it is. And we say, God, this is what is making me afraid. The bills are due at the end of the month, and I just don't think there's going to be enough to pay them. God, I don't know that my job at my company, I don't even know it's going to be there next month, and then how in the world are we going to provide for the family? God, my daughter's hanging out with this guy, and I really don't like him, and I really don't trust him. God, the chemo treatments or the medical tests are this week, and I'm really fearful of how they're going to go. See, once we identify the root of our fears, and they're connected to a person or a circumstance, then we are ready to begin to surrender those fears into the hands of our God. You see, it's not that we minimize the situation, but that it's that we maximize our view of the only one who can handle it. It's not that we deny the problem that's causing us fear, but we begin to relocate it to the hands of the only one who's bigger than our fear, the God of all truth. Listen to what the psalmist would pray. Psalm 3 verse 1 says this, Lord, how many are my foes? In other words, there's, there's opposition. How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Verse 3, but you, Lord, you are a shield around me. You are my glory and you are the one who lifts up my head. So therefore, I call out to the Lord. And he answers me from his holy mountain, and I lie down and I sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Scripture says there is confidence, there is a peace that can be in you when you begin to call out your fear by name and begin to surrender it into the hands of your God. So the first action that you take today to combat the lie of fear is that you begin to identify it by name, call it what it is. The second action for all of us today is to remind yourself that God is able. To remind yourself that God is able. 
The reality is the God that we worship today, that we just lifted up song to, that we serve with our lives, that many of you would say you've surrendered your life to, he is more powerful and more sovereign than any force of this world or of heaven, natural or supernatural. God did not wake up today or any day worried or stressed. Oh my goodness, I don't know what's going to happen. He is sovereign and he is in control and he reigns over all things. And most frequently, we have to remind ourselves of that truth that we've heard since we were two years old. God is able. He is sovereign. He is in control. Now, for some of us, that may take a while for that to grow in us because you've been believing the lie of fear in that situation for a long time. And it's created anxiety and worry and doubt and fear and stress inside your life. And you got to pull back the layers of that lie. See, for some people, it's a process, but God can give it to us instantaneously. And he can give us power over that fear. But for many people, faith increase, if faith is the antidote to fear, faith increase in our life is a process over time. It's a process of removing the layers of that lie. And maybe for some of you, man, the first practical step is for you, it may mean seeking out some medical help for a season. Or maybe it means consulting with a, with a trusted counselor who loves you and loves Jesus and wants to guide your heart towards what's true. Or for some of you who are doing life in isolation, maybe you need to begin to man, open up your life to a, a trusted friend or maybe a small group of people who love Jesus and love you and can walk with you while God begins to pull that lie of fear out of you. See, no matter what the process is that maybe you begin to take, it begins with this faith-filled confession to say, my God is able. My God is able to save. Scripture tells us that our words and our mouths carry great power. And for some of us, we need to make an out loud declaration to literally say, my God is able. My God can save. See, Scripture, we see it in, over and over in the Old Testament where I mean, God comes in and he performs a mighty act and then his people don't just sit by and go, but out loud they make a declaration. And they say, our God is able, our God is strong and mighty, and there's no God like our God, and He is sovereign and in control. And that's what the whole book of Psalms is in so many ways. It's a declaration back about the faithfulness and the power of God. And for some of you, maybe you need to begin to make that declaration with your mouth so that the faith can begin to grow in your heart. How many of you would be honest enough to say that you use the Reminders app quite frequently on your phone. Anybody, fellow Reminder app users? Okay, a lot of you forgetful people in the house. I mean, I, I live and die by my Reminders, like I do. If it doesn't go in my phone, I'm probably not getting it done, okay? This thing's got so clogged up up here, all right, that I got to put it somewhere else. I'm grateful for the app. But, you know, here's what I've found. I found that there's, if there are things in my life, whether it's daily or weekly, that I want to begin to implement into my life, into my routine, then I got to create a reminder for it. And so I create the reminder in my phone. And when it goes off, I found for the first few weeks, like I need that reminder because I got to do it daily or weekly or, or develop that habit. But here's what happens. It's crazy. Over the course of after a few weeks, I don't need the reminder quite as much. Because it becomes a part of my everyday thinking and life and action and who I am. And listen to me, as Christ followers, God gives us his word as this truth reminder. And it's always available. It's always there. And he says, when you begin to consistently engage that with your life, you give yourself the reminder that God is able. God is faithful from generation to generation. He is able. He is mighty to save. He is sovereign. 
And here's what Jesus even says himself, Matthew 6, 25. Look at these instructions that he gives us in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Some of you, that's what you need to hear today. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? The answer is no, you can't. Skip down to verse 31. Jesus says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus says, do not live a life that's overcome by fear and worry and doubt. But remember that your God is able. He is able to provide. He is able to protect. And he is able to keep every promise in the book. He is faithful to the end. So when the enemy comes at you with the lie of fear, man, you combat that with the reminder that your God's able. A third action, I think, to put into practice to combat the lie of fear is to keep your eyes always on the Lord. To keep your eyes set on the Lord. Follow me. Psalm 16 is an incredibly powerful passage of Scripture where David, a shepherd boy, just gets real honest. Yes, it's the same David that God used to kill a nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath. And I want you to see what does David say about his life. Look at these powerful words. Psalm 16, verse 8. He says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David makes it very clear that the reason that, man, he could take on this nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath with stones and a slingshot, the reason he could carry out all these God-sized missions that God gave him throughout his life was because he kept his eyes always on the Lord. And this term, that the right hand that David used there in Psalm 16:8, it indicates a, posi- a place of position of value and honor and intimacy. That's what that's saying. So in this day, to to sit at someone's right hand was the best seat in the house. It was the place of highest prominence and value. And so now that we follow Christ as New Testament believers, post-cross, post-resurrection, now we have this hope of Christ at our right hand that he is in us. Look at what Paul says. Paul describes it. Galatians 2 verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, I'm new in him and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul saying, when you surrender yourself fully to God and you're walking in a relationship with him, his spirit resides in us. The same power that was there on resurrection morning and that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you as a mom, as a high school student, as a grandparent. Same power available, and it's that power in us that gives us the ability to stand in the face of the lie of the enemy. And it's that power that begins to allow us to keep our eyes fixed on him. And then David goes on in Psalm 16 to tell us the benefit of keeping our eyes on the Lord. Look what happens. Psalm 16 verse 9. He says, therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest secure. David says, not only does fear not grip me, 
Not only, not only am I not backing down from fear, oh yeah, but even in the face of it, my heart's glad, my mouth rejoices, and I am secure. Can I ask you a question today? In the face of whatever fear you're battling, do you have those same feelings? Do you have that same confidence? Because listen to me, the enemy wants to do everything he can other than give you rejoicing, gladness, and security. How does he do that? He gets your eyes off the Lord. He calls you to start thinking about the situations and the circumstances around you. He causes you to get clouded up with the pursuits of life. And David says, no, 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 listen, the battle's coming. It's going to be there. But what you got to do is you got to keep your eyes always set on him. So maybe for you today, maybe the greatest action step for you is to begin to pray a prayer like this. God, would you give me spiritual blinders that allow me to look at you more than I look at everything else around me? It's like a racehorse at the Kentucky Derby, man. He puts those blinders on and all he can see is the finish line. And for some of you, man, you ain't living with no spiritual blinders. You're looking at everything else and chasing this thing and that thing and that. Try to fulfill. And, and man, David says, no, here's the key. You got to keep your eyes set on him. So what does that look like? Maybe that looks like creating a pattern of engaging God's word in your life daily. Well, I can't remember. Create a reminder. Maybe that means making discipline to be here as a part of our spiritual gathering as a family. Maybe that means connecting with someone in a one-on-one discipleship relationship so that they can encourage you when you start falling off the tracks. And we, we must keep our eyes fully set on the Lord. So we call our fear by name. We remind ourselves that God is able. We set our eyes, keep our eyes on the Lord. And then the final action, and perhaps my favorite, to combat the lie of fear is this. You fill your mouth with praise. You fill your mouth with praise. When the devil and the enemy wants to combat and come at you with a lie of fear, you begin to be a person that lives with the discipline of speaking a mouth of praise. Look at Psalm 16 again, same verse that we read a second ago. David says this, therefore my heart is glad, and look at this, my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. David says, my tongue rejoices. In other words, he says, hey, when you set your eyes on the Lord, verse 8, then your mouth will overflow with praise. Maybe for some of you, you go, I don't get the whole worship part, like the whole singing thing that we do earlier. Like, I'm not really into that. Well, maybe your eyes aren't set here. Because when your eyes are set here, it does something in here and in here that has to come out of here. It overflows with praise, David says. It overflows with a, a life of worship. But maybe, maybe today you're thinking, you're like, well, why in the world would I praise God? Or why in the world would I worship God when I'm walking through what I'm walking through? There ain't no mouthful of praise coming out of what I'm battling right now. Not when my marriage seems to be on the last leg or my health is failing or my kids are running in rebellion, or why in the world would I sing praise when my finances are at rock bottom, or my work life, or my family life is in chaos? And listen to me today. Here's the truth behind that. We don't praise God because of what we see, but we sing because of who we are. Some of you need that again. We don't praise God because of what we see right here, but we put the blinders on and we sing and we praise God because of who we are. We remind ourselves that our God is able. Our God is faithful. 
Our God is sovereign above all things. There's not anything outside of his plan and his good promises. And he's working all things together for his good or for our good and his glory. And our praise, it doesn't make our fear disappear, but it puts it in its proper place behind our view of God. Behind our view of God. See, worship and worry cannot occupy the same space in our life. One will always cancel out the other. And so today... We either allow fear and worry to overcome us and you will live a life overwhelmed by the lies of the enemy. Monday's coming. Or you can recount the size and the character and the faithfulness of our almighty God through his word, through worship and doing life with others. And then that you remind ourselves that God is able even when we're not. You see, the antidote for fear is faith. And the soundtrack of faith is worship. Soundtrack of faith is worship. In Isaiah 61, God commands us in the Old Testament. He says, put on the garment of praise. Literally, as you would think putting on a shirt or, or a jacket, you put on the garment of praise when the spirit of heaviness comes on you. And praise becomes like this magnifying glass in that whatever we're looking at, whatever we're praising with with our life, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that becomes the largest truth in our life. Psalm 34, I love how David says it here. Psalm 34, verse 3, it says, Magnify the Lord with me. Start there. Magnify Him. Praise Him. Set my eyes on Him. And look at this. And let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and He delivered me from all my, what does it say? Fears. Where did it start? With magnifying Him. See, don't wait you don't wait till worry and fear and stress have all calmed down in your life. And okay, well, now we can worship God. Now we can follow his plan for our life. No, 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 no. No, we, we start in the middle of it because many times the strongest praise is proclaimed in the middle of the biggest problem. That's where God will do that faith increase better than any other place in our life. The greatest weapon against the lie of fear is lips of praise. So today you combat the enemy by calling that fear by name, by reminding yourselves that your God is able, that He is able. You set your eyes always on Him, and then you, man, you fill your mouth with praise. I don't know if you've ever uh, come home, maybe from a trip, or maybe it was just like a full day away from the house, and you came home to the thought or the feeling that someone broke into your house. Anybody, anybody ever been in that moment before? Okay, just make me don't feel alone up here. Uh, okay, like maybe like you pulled in and just something didn't feel quite right, like you left it, or maybe you opened the front door or garage door and you're like, yeah, something, something ain't right. Okay, I remember um, when Heather and I first got married, we were living in the first house that we lived in, um, coming home to that feeling one day. I don't remember if we'd been on a trip or just a long day away at work, and, and we both came home and we pulled up in the driveway and pulled up the garage door and like, some just didn't feel quite right. All right. Like we looked into the house and there was a light on um, that was on in the house and we didn't remember leaving a light on in the house. And so quickly in that moment, my wife was convinced that somebody's in the house. So being the man of the house that I was, I knew my role. And my role was I was going in. And I, I knew I had to go in to make sure that the coast was clear, either to encounter whoever decided to come hang out in my house or to find out that the coast was all clear. And I didn't tell my wife in that moment, but I was scared. 
I was, and now I didn't tell her because she was already scared. And if she knew that I was scared too, then she would have gone even beyond where she was scared. She was already at like freak out level. We were right there. Okay. And I'm like, we can't push this any further. And so I started brainstorming all the different ways that I didn't have to be the one to go in and find out if somebody was up in my house. And so I'm like, man, I could call mom and dad. <laughs> but they probably tell me that the two are now one and you have left father and mother and you are clinging to your wife. I was like, we could, we could go see a neighbor, but we didn't really know anybody yet. And like, it was late at night. Or I was like, the police, we get 911. Like, this would be, and I'm like, man, I don't want to call the popo. They pull up in here and there's nothing. Like, I would look like a fool. So I decided, I was like, I got to man up and go in. So I manned up and went in. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, okay? Like, I, I was shaking a little bit. Okay, I was shaking a lot. I was shaking a lot. I was. And I, I remember I opened the garage door and I didn't hear anything. And I, I took a step into the kitchen. Laundry room was right there. Looked right there. All clear. Walked a little further. Master bedroom right there. All clear. And then I turned left to go across the living room to where the light was on the other side of the house, where the light was on. Let's just say in that moment, the fear began to take on a whole new level. All right. Because in that moment, like I could feel my hair on my arm standing up, like even thinking about it right now. I just remember that feeling. I got that tingle feeling all over. Hello. Anybody been there before with a tingling feeling is happening? And it just got really, really hot just right there in that moment. Just woof. I felt it. And, and as I walked closer and closer to where that light was in that room, still couldn't see around the corner yet. I. I acted in what I thought was an incredibly wise and great act, overcome by the amount of fear that I had in me. And I just yelled out at the top of my lungs, this is the police. Come out with your hands up. This is the police. <laughs> You'll be happy to know. And I was very relieved to find out. Wasn't nobody there. We just left the light on and didn't remember it. And I'm well aware that I will probably never live that story down now that it has been made public. But listen to me, I don't want you to miss something. In that moment, overcome by fear, I called out a name and an identity that wasn't fully true of me, but why did I do that? I did it because that name carried power and authority that I did not have on my own. Overcome by fear, I went to a name and an authority that carried weight and power in my life. You see, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been anywhere near as powerful if I'd have like come around that corner going, if you're in there, come on out because uh, I'm the homeowner and a new husband and I'm going to show you how tough I am. All right? Come on, big boy. That, that wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. But listen to me. In that moment, overcome by fear, I did the only thing I knew, and I called out a name and an identity and a power that had authority greater than me. And listen to me, church, some of you are living life gripped by fear. You have bought the enemy's lie of fear in your life. And for some of you today, you need to begin to call out and tell your fear about the name and the power and the authority of your father. You need to stop fighting the lie of fear in your life, in your own power, in your own strength. And you need to begin to speak the name and the power and the authority of your Jesus. Because scripture says at the name of Jesus, the demons tremble. At the name of Jesus, the enemy has to flee. That there is name and there is power and authority in his name that's above your name. Listen to me. The devil ain't scared of you. And he ain't scared of me. 
But when we begin to combat him and fight him in the name of our Jesus, who is risen, who is victorious over sin and hell and death and the grave and the enemy, there is a power and there's authority that you and I do not carry. And listen to me, one of the biggest ways that we speak the name of Jesus, that we combat the enemy with the name of our God is through worship. God has given us worship as a weapon. Worship is a weapon in our life where we begin to take our eyes off of our fear and we fix them on our God. And like the people of the Old Testament, we begin to say, our God is able, our God is mighty, our God can save, our God stands firm and secure and he reigns and he is faithful to the end and he holds all power and all authority over death and hell and the grave and he is victorious in my life. And when that begins to happen, we begin to redirect our eyes from the fear of this world and onto our God and we set our eyes on him and praise begins to flow out of us. Listen to me, where worship exists, worry and fear cannot. Worry and fear have to flee at the name of Jesus. So the charge to you today is stop believing the lie of fear. Stop living life overwhelmed by fear and doubt and worry and anxiety and begin to replace the fear in your life with the power of faith in your life. Faith to believe that your God is able. Faith to be reminded that he is faithful in all situations. Faith to set your eyes always on him no matter what's happening right here. And faith to fill your mouth with praise even in the face of your fear. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about the exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.